0: From 12 News, your local election headquarters, this is Newsmakers. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside 12 News Politics editor Ted Nisi. Our guest on the first half of the program this week is Greg Amore. He's Democratic candidate for secretary of state he's also a state representative from east providence rep good to have you back on the program thanks for having me i want to start with elections the story of primary day or one of the big stories i would say is the differences in the outcome with early voting and election day itself for instance governor mckee won with early voting but helena folks by a couple hundred votes won on uh, election day a lot happened in the final weeks of that campaign democrats support Early Voting, but there has been some discussion that it starts too early in Rhode Island. Is early voting too early in the state
1: so I don't think so, um, and I think the last time I was on this program, I talked about a 10 to 14 day window, which is, was my preference, but you know the, the bill was negotiated uh, through two years, and the number was, uh, was determined to be 20. Um, i don 't think so. I, I think people can make that choice as to whether or not they want to vote early. Uh, people could ask for a mail ballot and hold on to that mail ballot until well, they could hold on to it right until the end, the end and then deliver it to a Dropbox. So th- there are options. You know, There's a voter responsibility there. Um, and if people have made their decision and, and want to make uh, an early vote, they can. If they want yeah, to hold on to that, they no can. No one's
0: paying attention, really, honestly, in the summer um, you know, to what's going on in the campaigns. You say you supported a 10- to a 14-day window. If you uh, do become the next Secretary of State, would you advocate for that, to change the law, to shorten that window?
1: I I don't go back on what I said. I think think it's it's a reasonable uh, span. And I think the last time I was here, I talked about the Biden South Carolina primary. Yeah. It's an example of of things moving and changing and voters changing with it, Um, uh, the Clyburn endorsement. So yeah, I mean, I think we should review voting processes all the time, and we should see what works and what doesn't work and what we can do better. I think that's that's, uh, what we should always be doing in government.
2: What do you think, is? A, you're a student of American history, I know from your, your days before your athletic administrator, you were teaching history, and, you know, some people have said that there's something to be said for everyone voting at about the same time. If, if you just had a couple days earlier, maybe like the weekend before, then everyone is basically with the same set of facts, whereas, of course, we had people in that primary voting before they saw a single debate, um, before it had become clear that Gorbea was collapsing and folks was the alternative to the incumbent. I mean... You know, by spreading it out, are we kind of having like multiple polities uh, casting their ballots because it's over such a long time?
1: I think there's an adjustment period that has to has to happen, right? I mean, I think the debates will be adjusted now, right? The media has to adjust to what the calendar is as well, Um, and and I think the electorate will adjust to what the calendar is. But I do think in the modern age, where there is not, uh, where we have service industry employees and and not traditional. 830 to 4 or 9 to 5 jobs that we have to we have to promote voter access by giving people as much opportunity as we can and early voting does that
0: well we have held debates in in june may there wasn't a lot of candidates clamoring for this time but i guess to my earlier point even if we did hold a debate in july july 15th how many people are going to be watching that and paying attention or engaged yeah maybe part of the question
1: is is the primary
0: too late so so, yeah that gets right
1: to me that's the real question And, and i would support an earlier primary
0: you would? Uh, I
2: when would. would. How early? Would. They said you can pick. When uh, you if mean? I could pick, I'd,
1: I'd pick the end of June. Would you?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Yeah. I want to uh, shift gears, but stay with elections. There was a mishap with the express uh, vote machines. These are the touch screens uh, uh, voting machines that were, uh, that we're using in the state as an option um, where the wrong candidates were listed on the Spanish language ballots in, in Providence. There's been a lot of finger-pointing over who was responsible for the error of the Secretary of State's office or the Board of Elections. We asked your uh, Republican opponent, Pat Cordalessa, about it last week on Newsmakers. Here's part of what he had to say about it.
3: From what I understand, um, the Secretary of State's office is supposed to review the ballot before it hands it over to the Board of Elections f- officials and then they install it. And, of course, I would definitely hold the company that has the contract, um, I would seriously look into that after, this, after the election and uh, maybe put it all to bid again to another, you know, more efficient company.
0: Putting his comment on the, the company aside, uh, Cortalesa suggests that it was the Secretary of State's responsibility that they, they dropped the ball there. Do you agree?
1: No. Uh, so, so I, I think there's a, there was a gap here in testing that is not outlined in the statute that's being addressed now. Uh, but the secretary of state's office prepares the ballot we know that the ballots were pre- prepared correctly we saw the paper ballots prepared correctly the even, even the uh the um english version of the ballot uh prepared cor- correctly on on that machine so we know the ballots were prepared correctly the gap was the programming and then the review and obviously we have to have a review uh, a, a protocol set in place so that we know it, that that machine is not only producing the right screen and then printing the right ballot, but that it's properly calibrated and ready to go for election day. I mean, go back to early voting. Thank God we had early voting, uh, or we wouldn't have caught this, or we would have had a situation on election day that would have been a yeah, much that greater, been a di- greater That could have issue. been a disaster yeah, if it a much happened greater on, issue. But, on election day. But I think, look, there's a, there has to be a. a, a a collaboration between the Department of State and the Board of Elections, so that something like this does not happen.
2: Well, to that point, yeah. I mean, if, if, if whoever was at fault here with the, with the Department of it's probably a mix things and the, the just lack of whose job is this. There, that relationship looks dysfunctional to outsiders at this point. Between you have the Secretary of State's, the Chief Elections Officer, but doesn't run elections as she likes to point out. Uh, you have the Board of Elections. You have them fighting in the final days leading into the uh, leading into the primary. I mean, does Rhode Island need to, it was quite a contrast. We'd cover Massachusetts too. Bill Galvin is the secretary of state in Massachusetts and he's in charge of elections. And when something goes wrong, it's Bill Galvin's fault. And when there's a problem like they had in Barnstable that day, Bill Galvin had to fix it. Does Rhode Island need to fundamentally look at the division of labor on elections administration between these two offices?
1: Well, I think we can look at division of labor, but there, uh, you know, there is something to be said about separating the political from the process. Um, The secretary of state is on the ballot. Uh, every four years. We want to make sure that that is not intertwined, uh, and, that's, and that's to keep the election process separate. Now, I'm in favor of the secretary of state or designee being a non-voting member of the Board of Elections. I am going to, if I'm fortunate enough to win, I'm going to work tremendously hard to build a relationship uh, with the board, with the staff, so that there's constant communication, so that something like this does not happen. If I'm fortunate enough to be elected, uh, I will propose legislation on day one Uh, to outline what the duties are in regard to uh, accuracy and logic testing.
2: So, but do you, so you think with just a secretary of state who's more amenable to getting along or a board of elections who is without putting blame, that that's mostly what is required here as opposed to looking fundamentally is, is this structure working?
1: We, we can look at whether or not the structure is working. Uh, what my, my main point is that there is a healthy separation between the two because the Secretary of State's office is a political entity in that the the, the office holder has to run for election every four years. Through, sure, but through we're two two not saying Bill
2: Galvin hasn't stolen right. his no. election. I, I'm,
1: not, I'm not saying mm-hmm. any, anything has happened, but that's the, that's the theory behind the separation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think most people are probably comfortable with that. Um, and, and I think if we can separate the political from the process, we should. But that doesn't mean that we can't work up until that point to make sure things work well. Just one final question on that then. Then why should the Secretary of State be the designated
2: Chief Elections Officer if the whole point you're saying is to remove the Secretary of State from direct elections involvement?
1: Well, I mean, elections officers, that, there's a lot to that, right? It's not just the, the election itself. There's the certification of the election. There's the preparation of the ballot, there's the voter registration, there's a a whole host of of separate issues there. Um, and, And the term chief elections officer may not fit uh, perfectly into this situation. But again, I'll say, I do think there's a healthy separation, but, but I know uh, I know because I've been in the General Assembly for 10 years that the relationship there has to be better. And, and maybe a way for that to happen is to have a non-voting place on that board for the secretary or, or a designee.
0: Another responsibility for the Secretary of State's office is to manage um, corporate filings, businesses. Um, so a business has to register with the state through the Secretary of State's office to operate uh, in Rhode Island, through our reporting on outgoing state representative Carlos Tabone and uh, Ted's reporting on the owner of the Superman building, High Rock, uh, businesses will let their registration lapse or it'll get revoked by the Secretary of State's office because they don't file the paperwork, they don't pay uh, their annual fee that they have to, uh, you know, they have to uh, pay. It seems like there, there are just no consequences from the Secretary of State's office for operating after having a license revoked. So why should anybody bother registering if there are no repercussions?
1: Yeah, there should be repercussions. And should be? there there should be legislation that outlines what those repercussions are, the same as there is legislation that outlines repercussions for any violation, including campaign finance violations, right? Um, you, you go through campaign finance uh, law, and if you're in violation, you pay a fine. Uh, that fine increases if you have not rectified that situation. So I, I think that that is a way to, to address that. Um, I think publicizing uh, who, who has not followed the law uh, is, is another way uh, to make sure that the information is out there to the public and they understand that. I mean, there's a There's a shame factor in publicizing who has not filed correctly and who is not doing what they need to do, according to statute.
0: Publicizing meaning the Secretary of State's office publicized? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, gotcha. you You would be able to go to a... A, a section of the website and see who is not in compliance.
2: One of the and the Secretary of State's office does have quite a few different types of responsibilities as we're showing this show. One of them is managing agendas and making sure everything is posted publicly for public bodies for their meetings. We saw that became a big issue during the pandemic about holding meetings online. What level of public access should there be with online meetings? Um, and and a bill that would have sort of put some of the pandemic stuff in place permanently died in the Senate. Mm-hmm. You serve in the House to remind people. What do you think we learned? from the pandemic, and what should be the permanent change? I mean, we, we would hear from, from parents, for example, who have kids running around, they're trying to keep track of the thing. Even after the pandemic, it allowed them to maybe engage with a school committee meeting sure. they couldn't have gone to in person before. Sure. And towns don't have to do that now, but then towns will say it's too expensive. Where do you come down on this?
1: I, I think we should continue along that line. I, I think the elected... Did you vote for that, Bill? I did. Okay. I think the elected or, or appointed members of public bodies should be in person unless there's an emergency situation. I, I, I believe that. But I also believe, and I know this through experience, that um, more public access, which we experienced during the pandemic, in the Finance Committee is the best example. It meets, the, it meets most often. It has the most testimony. We heard on some nights 400, 500 phone calls uh, from people who were comfortably at home waiting for their turn in line and then expressed their view on whatever that bill or, or uh, proposition might have been. That's healthy. That's good for democracy. Uh, so I'm I'm in favor of uh, multiple ways of accessing public meetings, including an online version. And and you know the expense uh, factor is is outweighed by, by the, the the shining the light factor. Right? That we should have transparency wherever we can. And as technology moves forward, the expense is is not is not prohibitive.
0: I w- just on this, you know, the same vein here. Um, as Ted pointed out, Secretary of State's office manages open meetings. You know that portal, and people can look at the agenda, and see what's coming up. But if there's a complaint about an open meeting, like a, a meeting went into an executive session and it shouldn't have, that goes the General. to the Attorney yeah. General same with public records complaint goes to the attorney general and you know there are a lot of questions about whether the attorney general should be handling public records complaints when you they have filed to, one of those too. Uh, uh, a few <laughs> uh, especially when they have such a cozy relationship with law enforcement which is a lot of, i would say the lion's share of public records in massachusetts it is the secretary of state's office that handles those complaints should that be the model here so at the beginning of this uh, campaign,
1: I, I explored that topic. I asked the, the players, uh, both the AG and the Secretary of State. I received a lot of good information. I and what I've what said. What
0: did the AG tell you?
1: The the AG said we're we're better apt to handle handle the the uh, uh, prosecution uh, of these cases, and I think I think I agree with that, especially with the makeup of the Secretary of State's office as we speak uh, capacity. But I think and during the uh, campaign, I talked about a similar situation. Uh, that exists with the board of elections and the AG. I think that can exist with the Secretary of State's office and the AG. I think the Secretary of State's office can investigate and and then turn over to the Attorney General's office for prosecution uh, uh, an entity that has violated the Open Meetings uh, Act. I think that bifurcated... Methodology which we see with Board of Elections and AG is probably the, the methodology we should
0: use going forward. So wait, the complaint would go to the Secretary of State 's office, then you the, guys would investigate correct. it and then forward to the AG's correct. office. It's, it seems like well, another layer of
1: it, it is, but, it, but I think I think your, your, your original question was talking about um, uh, why the AG would be dealing with open meetings. at this level, the AG would only be dealing with it for prosecution. Uh, the, the investigatory process would be with the Secretary of State's like, uh, office like it is with the Board of Elections now.
0: Okay, uh, we have to go to a break, but I, I want to ask you about something for your in your current job, your athletic director or athletic administrator in, in East Providence. Very scary moment happened Thursday night in an NFL game where the quarterback for the Miami, uh, Miami Dolphins, Tua Tungavailoa, sustained a head injury. And it was some upsetting you know, video that, that we've all seen after that. He was playing just four days after it looked like he had sustained a head injury in a, a Sunday game. He was brought back into that game. They said it was a back injury, but there's been a lot of questions about that. Um, football is big in your town, in East Providence and we're talking about young brains at risk here. Are you confident in the safety protocols in place for young athletes who play that sport in East Providence?
1: In East Providence, 100%. Um, across youth sports, uh, not as confident because I don't have the knowledge I do of the, in Scholastic League sports, but we, we, follow, we have a, a, an on-site trainer in East Providence, full-time trainer for our, our athletes, and uh, we have a protocol that is air on the side of caution Uh, An athlete who we suspect uh, may have been injured like that, a head injury, is pulled out, uh, and then the concussion protocol is put into place. They see a physician. If the physician clears them, they clear them to resume the concussion protocol. So they're still six days away from competing if the concussion protocol goes according to plan. Uh, And that's a a slow buildup monitored by the athletic trainer, uh, toward a return to play. And that's a protocol that we've used since I've been the athletic director, and that most Rhode Island Scholastic League uh, schools, I would say all at this point, use as well. Uh, not all schools have a full-time trainer like East Providence does. I would recommend that for every school. I think it's really important. That's your first responder on the field. Um, but our protocols are, are are put in place and they're followed consistently. Just, just briefly,
2: uh, Rep, uh, on that question. I'm just curious from your years as an educator who was always involved in athletics, I know you're a baseball coach. Um, but, and um, hockey. And, and hockey, but yeah. I'm sure you knew about with football too. Have you seen a, a, a shift in how many parents are willing to have their boys play football in recent years? Or is that that been overblown and is. briefly
1: cuz I do have to clarify. Yeah, so interesting. Uh I did originally, right? After the movie Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie came out. We saw, we saw uh, uh, you know, less kids playing this year. We have 93 kids out for these programs football. The season.
0: Will Smith movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Concussion,
1: right? Was that yeah, it? it was called yeah. Concussion. Yeah. So All right. it's come back a it little has come That's back, yeah. Greg Amore,
0: Democratic candidate for Secretary of State. Thanks so much for joining us on the program. My pleasure. When we come back, our conversation about elections and election security continues with the head of Common Cause, Rhode Island, John Marion. Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers.
1: From 12 News, your local election headquarters, this is
0: Newsmakers. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White alongside Ted Nisi. Our guest on the second half is the executive director of Common Cause, Rhode Island, John Marion. Good to have you back, John. Thank you. I want to talk to you about what we talked uh, to Greg Amori about on the first half of the show, and that's that express vote uh, debacle, the mishap with the Spanish language ballots in Providence having the wrong candidate names on the touchscreen system. Now, very few uh, ballots were cast, and as uh, Rep. Amore pointed out in the first half, it w- could have been much worse if that mm-hmm. happened on, on Election Day. Absolutely. Secretary of State Nelly Gorbea says it is the Board of Elections' responsibility to check these ballots. The Board of Elections kind of points the finger at the Secretary of State's office. You follow this stuff closely. You know these laws. Who dropped the ball?
3: Yeah, I mean, the the problem, the underlying problem is that the law was written for the old machine, And then they leased new machines this year and they didn't update the law. Uh, And so the law says that the Secretary of State is responsible for preparing the ballot. But this new machine, unlike the old machine, prints your choices on a blank piece of paper. The old machine, you put in a pre-printed ballot just like everybody else votes uh, with. And so with the old machine, she could check that ballot before they were printed. With the new machine, it, it was, it's unclear whose responsibility it but, was. But, but John, you, but, didn't,
0: you don't need a law. Uh, you know, Secretary of State Nelly Gorbea and the head of Board of Elections, Bob Raposa, did, don't need a law to tell them that there was a new voting machine in, in place. So there's, yeah, there's the mean, law and then there's practice. Yeah,
3: I mean, if you want to know in practice who, who dropped the ball, it was the Board of Elections. Because the Board of Elections supervises the vendor, and it was the vendor who programmed the machines. Just From to add a to the confusion, called, yes, the Secretary
2: nice. of State had picked the vendor, right? Yeah. <laughs> but then it is, they're picking a vendor for the Board of Elections. Yeah, but, well, this-
3: but that machine was programmed inside the Board of Elections building okay. uh, by somebody who has an office inside the Board of Elections. The building. vendor has
0: an office inside the Board yeah. of Elections.
3: Well, I, just
2: even at what I just said, John, okay, so the Secretary of State is picking a vendor who then works for the Board of Elections on something that involves both of their responsibilities you know, I, I'm truly not taking a position here. I'm just trying to understand it as a citizen and a reporter. I mean, when you have that level of bifurcation in whose responsibilities is, un- and arguably the most important thing government does, which is make sure mm-hmm. the elections, there is trust in elections, especially right now with the national climate and all that you know, do, do more, is it just almost, I, not to put words in his mouth, but Rep. Mori kind of suggested maybe it could be done almost on a human level with just more talking to each other versus more structural changes. He did suggest some of those too, but where, what do you think? Do we need to fundamentally look at the division of labor between these two offices? I,
3: I think we need to look at the division of labor, but I don't think we need to, um, you know, the, the, there's been some suggestion that the Secretary of State should take it all over. Um, like in Massachusetts. A, like Massachusetts, like many states. But, you know, Bill Galvin's a lifer, you know. Um, so don't look at Bill Galvin. Look at Brian Kemp in Georgia four years ago. The accusations, he was secretary of state running for governor. He purged voters from the voter rolls right before the election. And the accusation was he was putting his thumb on the scale for himself as secretary of state on the ballot for governor. You don't want to find ourselves in that sort of situation in Rhode Island. So there is a need for sort of an independent entity to be particularly certify the election results, and that's the Board of Elections. But when it comes to sort of the handoff, right? So this is the handoff. The secretary is in charge of registration, preparation of the ballots. She hands all that off to the Board of Elections and they run it on election day. We got to figure out that handoff. We're like the U.S. men's relay teams in every Olympic where we drop the <laughs> baton, yeah, right? right? Yeah, that's you a know, good way to look at it. Like yeah. we may have the you know the fastest runners at both ends, but but we got to figure out how well, to hand. You know, that I've, off.
2: I've heard there have been elections in Rhode Island since the 1700s. Why is it that? in 2022 we're still tied this isn't a new structure what, you know is it is it just no one's focused on it or the screw-ups haven't been high profile enough or more, i mean there to be more pressure on them to figure this out
3: one thing is you know our elections increasingly rely on technology right so mm-hmm. even 10 years ago they they were optical scanners and the poll book was paper mm. now the poll book is an ipad and it's a digital scanner which is, it's a very different technology. As we increase the amount of technology, we need to actually increase the, the state's ability to oversee that technology, right? You have kind of this uh, asymmetry between the vendor who has the information and the person who's supervising the vendor who doesn't have the information. Mm. I would like to not see the vendor be programming that machine. I think it should be a state employee.
0: You have called on Rhode Island adopting same-day voter registration like is it 20 other states?
3: I think 21 states in the District of Columbia.
0: Okay, uh, proponents argue it would increase turnout. We did have kind of mediocre turnout, I mm-hmm. would say, in primary day. Uh, but look, election day is already a really busy day for officials and for volunteers at, at polling places. Would this just add another responsibility and increase their workload and it, is it possible that would lead to longer lines and frustrate voters?
3: You know, potentially if it was done poorly. But, you know, we, we've added early voting in the last two years. We've increased access to mail ballots. So there's actually less stress on election day than there used to be. We really didn't see any lines this year. We didn't really see any lines in 2020. Go back to 2016, go back to 2012. There were some significant lines, Pawtucket, Providence. As we've taken the stress off of Election Day, that means we can shift other things to Election Day. And so I the, think we should sh- well, allow... Doesn't that
2: mean this fall will be a test then? Because it's a post-COVID, as Tim right. said, turnout was weak in mm-hmm. the primary. This is going to be a real election.
3: Yeah, I mean, really, and, t- you know, it's still going to be a midterm, though. Mm. The, the really super high-stress ones are presidential elections mm. because we know that's when, when turnout peaks, you know, here and everywhere. Um, but, you know, other states have had this for... 30, 40, 50 years. You know, New Hampshire has had it for my whole lifetime, and they've successfully pulled it off. I don't know why you know, people don't think we could pull it off. I,
2: we don't have much time, so I want to briefly ask something that again came up in the first half, which was uh, Rep. Mori, who we should say is the favorite. Um, Pat Cordalessa faces an uphill battle. Said he would support moving Rhode Island's primary. I think he said he said to June, I June. believe. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if Common Cause has ever taken an official position on that. What do you think?
3: Yeah, we have. Um, we'd like to see it moved. Um, we don't have a date necessarily in mind, but Rhode Island has the latest primary in the country. There were only three states that had a primary uh, when we did in September. It really puts us behind the eight ball uh, in terms of getting ballots ready for the general election. There's a federal law that says military overseas ballots have to go out 45 days in advance. We're going to violate that federal law next time we have a statewide recount Mm -hmm. guaranteed. And the DOJ is going to come in here as they have in other states and sue and force the state to move their primary like they did in New York. Wow. Do you, you think that's, a, that's definitely would happen if there was a recount? Yeah, I think if we had a recount and it went to the courts and it took a week or two to resolve you would easily get within that 45-day window and you'd have all sorts of problems.
0: We have a minute left, so I want to ask you the final question by bringing up a graphic of some key dates that we have uh, coming up Mm -hmm. that everyone at home should know about. Uh, Last day for voter registration is October 9th, uh, which is much to your chagrin, John. (laughs) I know last day to apply for mail ballots is October 18th. Early in-person voting begins on October 19th, and of course the general election is on uh, November 8th. I want to look at that October 19th date. It was a conversation that we had on the first half of the program with Rep. Amore. We have about 45 seconds left, John. Uh, You know, there's been talk about maybe that window is too large because of all the things that happened in the final weeks. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, two things. One is, you know, there are states that are already voting for the general Uh, now. There are Mm -hmm. states with 45 days of early voting. We are not an outlier with 20 days, it's, it's close to the average, which I think is about 18 days, 17 days. 15 seconds. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I think it's going to take time for voters to adjust, the media to adjust, as he said. Uh, you know, and let's see in a couple of years. Always blame it on the media. Yeah, right? I know. All these anti-media. We're under attack you know, on our own it's show. Just, uh, it's yeah, disgusting. We can't even it's terrible. John
0: Marion from Common Cause, Rhode Island. Thanks so yeah. much for joining us. Thank you. If you missed any of it, it's on WPRI.com. For Ted Nisi, I'm Tim White. We'll see you next week on Newsmakers.